Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, episode 60. I'm your host, William Galloway. Today is Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. We have entered the final frame of this 2020 year, and however it's been for you, it's almost over. So the finish line, the checkered flag has been waved. The finish line is in sight. We have got this, folks. But you know what's not done? is Alabama football, and that's what we're talking about here on the Galloway Podcast today. I'll be joined by Chris Blair, the voice of the LSU Tigers, here momentarily to preview Alabama at LSU coming up this Saturday in Baton Rouge, Alabama trying to avenge last year's loss in what was an incredible game. We'll talk with Chris about that game. We'll talk with Chris about the LSU season this year, uh, comparing Mac Jones to Joe Burrow last year. A great conversation coming up with him shortly. I want to remind everybody the Galloway podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. Check it out on those three platforms and share with your friends on social media. On today's episode, as I mentioned, we've got Chris Blair. We're going to start with what's new. We'll then talk to Chris, and then, as we always do, we'll end up around Alabama athletics discussing what's going on with other sports besides Alabama football in Tuscaloosa. So let's go ahead and get started on episode 60 of the Galloway Podcast. I want to remind everybody that you can follow me on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. If you've got any feedback, questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast, would love to hear from you. You can connect with me there on Twitter. What's new in the world of sports and going around the SEC? Week 13 of the college football season this past weekend taking place. And of course, Iron Bowl weekend headlined all of the games. Alabama with a 42-13 to win over Auburn. That game was in Bryant-Denny Stadium. The Crimson Tide now 8-0. Auburn falls to 5-3. Mac Jones played exceptionally well through the deep ball well as we've seen all year long and Alabama just really a dominating performance not allowing Auburn to score and get into the end zone until the fourth quarter of course a pair of field goals one in the second and one in the third quarter the Alabama defense was just dominant keeping Auburn out of the red zone but also just out of the end zone so many sacks from guys like Chris Allen, he's come on and come into his own this year. He's played really well on the defensive side of the ball for Alabama. Malachi Moore with an interception. Brian Branch had an interception and took it back on a 30-yard return. So guys playing really well on both sides of the ball. Devontae Smith, obviously an exceptional player for this Alabama Crimson Tide team, had a great game as well. Looking just through some of the stats here of Alabama's win versus Auburn. Alabama got out to a hot, hot start with that 66-yard touchdown pass from Jones to Devontae Smith. That was a four-play, 78-yard drive in less than two minutes. Mac Jones was 18 for 26, 302 yards through the air, and five touchdowns. Just an exceptional game from the Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback. Of course, we know Bo Nix called Mac Jones essentially a game manager last week in Alabama social media pages throwing shade at Bo Nix saying they managed well. That was really funny if you saw those social media posts and graphics. Check those out there on the Alabama football, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you get your content, check that out there. Rushing-wise, Najee Harris had 11 carries for 96 yards. Brian Robinson had 39 yards on seven carries. Of course, Najee Harris was the only rushing touchdown, and I believe it was a 33-yard run that he had. Just a dominant performance from Alabama 
over Auburn this past weekend in the 85th Iron Bowl. And But the season's not over. That's what's important is that the season is not over. There are two more games left to be played for just about every team in the SEC. And looking around at what else happened last week, Vandy, uh, Vandy Missouri, excuse me, made some headlines in Missouri. But game-wise, Missouri just dominated Vandy 41-0. Wasn't even close. And then after the 0-8 start, Derek Mason was fired from Vanderbilt. Sarah Fuller making headlines for the Commodores. But then Derek Mason really kind of stealing the spotlight after that, getting fired. What's What's next for Vanderbilt? I don't know. You know, it's it's they're struggling this year, and that's just kind of the way it's been for years and years and years for that program. But Missouri gets the win, forty-one to zero over Vanderbilt. Also, number six Florida held on, and they were you know a close a close game at halftime, fourteen to ten versus Kentucky. But Florida pulls it out in Gainesville, thirty-four to ten over Kentucky. The Egg Bowl, boy, that was fun. Lane versus Leach. Ole Miss improves to four and four after the thirty-one to twenty-four win over the first Egg Bowl between Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach. And Chris Blair will mention this game last week, but Texas A&M LSU. That game was in College Station, and number five Texas A&M won twenty to seven. And the other game in the SEC last week, completing the full slate of SEC games. We hadn't had that in a while. South Carolina versus Georgia in Columbia. South Carolina trying to upkeep last year's win over Georgia, but this Georgia team is not, I don't want to say too good, but they were too good for South Carolina. Georgia with the 45-16 to win at South Carolina this past weekend. Some headline matchups coming up this weekend in week 14 of the college football season. Texas A&M at Auburn, Arkansas at Missouri, Florida at Tennessee, Vandy at Georgia, South Carolina at Kentucky, and of course, Alabama at LSU. So let's go ahead and kick it over to Chris Blair here on the Galloway Podcast, the voice of the LSU Tigers, to preview Alabama at LSU this coming weekend. I'm joined now by Chris Blair, the voice of the LSU Tigers. Chris, good morning, and thank you for taking some time this week to talk with me. No, no doubt about it, man. It's a, it's a big week, obviously a little different here in 2020 for a number of reasons, notwithstanding the fact that Alabama and LSU are playing on a Saturday, and yet ESPN's College Game Day is going to be in Conway, South Carolina, covering Coastal and Liberty. So kind of tells you the difference uh, in the year, not to mention the pandemic and all that goes with it. But uh, great to join you, and, and, and again, blessed to be uh, hopefully calling a football game on Saturday. It's something that uh, we should never take for granted, especially in 2020. Right. Regardless of circumstance, it's good to have football um, coming through our radio waves or coming through our TV sets this Saturday. Chris, want to go ahead and start by looking back. So LSU jumping into this season, season trying to defend their national championship. What were the expectations leading into this uncertain 2020 season and trying to defend that national championship? Well, I think, number one, uh, it started offensively. I mean, because of the skill players that, you know, had moved on to the uh, NFL draft. I mean, 14 guys, both offense and defense, moving on to the next level. Um, so anytime you lose not only that number of players, but certainly what those players meant in the overall scheme and really the success uh, for the Tigers in 2019, you had to be concerned about. But I think maybe what was more surprising as we've gone through this year is that there were a lot of question marks about how you even come close to replicating uh, what the Tigers did offensively. 
And even through the first three games where Miles Brennan takes over for Joe Burrow, the offense was putting uh, points up on the board. Uh, they were producing yards, uh, not quite to the, to, to the level that the 2019 team did, but defensively uh, is where LSU really struggled and has struggled really um, until this past Saturday against Texas A&M where they put together their best defensive game. Unfortunately, um, the offense was uh, completely unable to get anything going. So um, I think the expectations were that you couldn't set the bar for 2019 but I, I think that there was a big surprise that defensively there was such a massive drop-off. And I think most people now looking back on it feel like the, the loss of spring football and installing a totally different scheme under Bo Pelini after Dave Aranda left uh, to take the job at Baylor. I think them missing out on spring football affected the defense going from the 4-3 uh, or the 3-4 to the 4-3 uh, affected LSU maybe a little more than we all thought would be. And so you mentioned the, the defense this year and obviously the loss of Joe Burrow, Joe Brady, plenty of guys moving on to the NFL, a record number moving on to the NFL. Uh, what would you say would be the Achilles heel as the season has gone on for LSU? I think it's been really the offensive line. Uh, you know, you look at Lloyd Cushenberry, who was a solid starter at center for three seasons. Uh, Damian Lewis, who was a great story, who's gone on now uh, to play well in the NFL. I think offensive line was really where maybe we weren't paying attention to. You know, we were talking about the Clyde Edwards layers, obviously the Joe Burrows, um, Jamar Chase deciding to opt out before the season uh, and then losing Justin Jefferson. Um, but I think the offensive line is where it starts because when you look at now the loss of Miles Brennan due to injury, uh, the struggles that LSU have had is number one, establishing a running game and being consistent in the run game. And when you've got two true freshman quarterbacks that you're throwing out there, uh, the running game has to be able to help them take some pressure off their shoulders so they don't have to win the game with their arm. And it all starts at the, at the offensive line. And to be successful in the SEC, taking on um, these mammoth defensive fronts, super talented, super quick defensive fronts, if you can't run the football, it usually means your quarterback is going to be under duress most of the day. And if you look back to last week's game against Texas A&M, um, you know, that was the issue. Defense played very well kept Kellen Mond in check, took Ben Weidemeyer completely out of the game, their leading receiver, but yet LSU could not move the football, um, you know, only two conversions on third downs um, and almost shut out for the first time since 2018. Luckily, they were able to get a score uh, late in that fourth quarter. But to me, you know, now having the opportunity to look back, I think the biggest Achilles heel has been the losses at the offensive line. And another loss just now recently for the Tigers is Terrace Marshall Jr., the leading receiver for this LSU offense. What is his loss? What's the impact of his loss? And how does LSU try and move on and not even replace a guy like him, but put a guy in the slot, put a guy in the receiver position with losing Marshall? Well, it is a big loss. I mean, just because he had kind of become the, the team leader uh, on and off the field. I mean, he does it on the field just simply by his play, but he had really taken a role uh, at practice and in the locker room kind of being the leader, um, you know, because Joe Burrow was was the alpha male on this team really the last two seasons uh, for both offense and defense. He didn't have a problem, you know, calling somebody out on, uh, on any position on the field. Um, so, I, I mean, that's the big loss. The, the, the obvious part is, is that, you know, he was one of the most talented receivers in the country. And, you know, Miles Brennan knew that when in doubt, you know, you got to find number six. Uh, 
normally he'll make a play. He's got such great hands. He's got the ability to, to get loose and get open. And then I think the two freshman quarterbacks, uh, Coach O said it several weeks ago, when in doubt, find Terrace Marshall on the field. Um, so now you lose that as well. So it is a big loss. I don't think it's a huge surprise. Um, you know, when you look at the way the season fell with the delays, some of the postponements, the fact they started the season late. I mean, let's face it, this past weekend normally in a normal year would have been the final regular season weekend. And the trend has been over the last four seasons or so um, that, you know, some guys opt out, don't play in the postseason, get ready for the combine. So, um, you know, I don't think it was a huge surprise uh, that maybe people are making it out to be. Uh, but it is a loss because there are three more regular season games and, and LSU is going to have to be without one of their biggest weapons. Chris, a lot of noise this year has been around Mac Jones and the SEC and even comparing him to the just historic year that Joe Burrow had last year. And we can really dive into this, but I want to get your comparison. As somebody who was very, very close to Burrow last year and seeing all of his games and the things that he did, and now seeing Mac Jones from afar, how do you compare and contrast those two quarterbacks and the seasons they've had in 19 and 20? Well, I think they both are very good at, at understanding and reading defenses, and I think that's the key. I mean, when you look at some of the complicated blitzes and some of the stunts that, that defenses are throwing at these offense just trying to slow them down because we can all, I think, agree that it's an offensive game now in college football. Uh, and when you've got a quarterback who pre-snap uh, can find what they're trying to do or pretty much guesstimate where they're going to bring pressure points from, uh, even before the ball is in your hands, uh, you're already one step ahead of them. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that I've, I've seen Mac do. Uh, he knows he's got some great weapons around him with Najee Harris. Uh, he knows uh, the go-to guys, uh, Bo Smith, uh, you know, and, and earlier in the season, he had the best receiver in the country. So I think he's utilizing the, the pieces around him in the same way that Joe did. Uh, I think Mac also probably this year, even more so than Burrow last year, has without question Alabama's offensive line. I mean, uh, that allows a guy with the skill set that Mac has, the weapons around him, uh, the fact that he can really, you know, scan the field. He's going to find somebody open. They're just too talented. So I think, you know, Mac benefits from having really a, a stellar offensive line. And even though last year LSU's offensive line won the, the, the O-line award, um, I think Joe Burrow and Clyde Edwards-Elair helped cover some things for him, to be honest with you. I mean, there were a lot of spectacular plays that Joe made by extending the play, scrambling out of the pocket, and, and more times than not pulling a Houdini on being able to turn it into a big play. Um, not saying Matt can't do that. He just hasn't had to very often because of the stellar performance of the guys up front. Yeah, I think the you mentioned Clyde Edwards-Elair, and that comes to mind when I think about the Alabama-LSU game last year. So let's talk about that game and kind of the emotions of it, but also just the enormity of it and it being, you know, top five matchup. Uh, what were your takeaways from last year after the game in that it was so close, it was kind of a shootout, Bama came back, uh, Burrow kind of had not a breakout game because he'd been playing well all game, all year long. What were your takeaways from last year's Alabama-LSU game in Tuscaloosa? Well, I, I really, you know, I'm probably upset some Alabama fans when I say this, but I think overall, uh, for a number of reasons, um, some injuries, Alabama was out without some of the players that maybe they expected to start the season. Uh, LSU obviously did as well, but I think pound for pound, that matchup last year, LSU had a slight edge uh, in overall talent. I, I think the better team won that Saturday. Now, to your point, 
it had been a long time coming for LSU to even be able to say that. To even be able to say they were in the same zip code from a talent standpoint, top to bottom, that Alabama's had really since Nick Saban's been there. Um, so, you know, the surprise, it wasn't a surprise that they won the football game. I, I, I truly, whether you like it or not, feel like the better team won that game. Um, and for LSU, it was, a, it was a big game. I mean, it was a long time coming. Uh, sure, they were emotional after the game. Um, but I think any team in that situation would have been been the same way. And had the shoe been on the other foot, we would have seen the same type of uh, emotion from Alabama that you saw for LSU. Um, but the other thing you have to remember is that that game is over. Uh, neither Alabama nor LSU can bring those points or bring those plays into the game this Saturday. And, you know, that's kind of been, I think, a message that may have taken a little too long to, to kind of settle in with this LSU team not only that Alabama game, but 2019, those guys are gone. Joe Burrow's not walking through the tunnel um, and they weren't going to walk through the tunnel all season long. So you couldn't kind of just kind of drift off and, and ride the tide, pardon the pun, um, into the 2020 season. And, and to be honest, just watching uh, LSU early in the season, it looked like that hadn't clicked with everybody uh, and, until, they, you know, the big loss at Mississippi State to open the year. Kind of people wrote that off as a, as, as a one-off or an anomaly. Uh, then you lose on the road to a Missouri team, which, by the way, I think Missouri and Coach Drinkwitz has done an excellent job. I mean, they certainly are playing much better. Um, and then just getting absolutely torn to shreds at Auburn. I, I think it's taken a while for LSU to say 2019 is gone. Um, and I think they're starting now to, to realize that they're building towards the future again. And this year has not gone the way they wanted. Uh, but, you know, that game for LSU fans, again, there's no denying that's one they're going to hold on to for a long, long time. Of course, and rightfully so. I mean, it was one of the best games we've seen in the last decade. Um, so, great game. And But like you said, moving on. And so I want to ask you, Chris, now this year, this kind of a round two that didn't have a round one between Alabama and LSU, what was the mood down in Baton Rouge those first couple of days at the beginning of November when Alabama was slated to schedule or play against LSU and kind of what happened that week? What was the vibe down there as the week progressed and the game got canceled, postponed? Rather. Well, 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 I think for, for the most part, the, the major concern going into that week was, um, you know, this is a different team from last year, um, but, but it's, a, it's a lot of young guys who are, are certainly having to carry uh, more of the load than they have either last year or even the year before. Um, but you want to have those guys when you're playing against Alabama. And because there were a number of players not even available to practice due to either COVID-19 or just contact tracing in and of itself, you didn't want to play that game, I don't think, because even though Alabama is going to be an overwhelming favorite, as they should be, uh, you still want to have some guys out there who can at least make a play or try to make a play. Um, so I think that was really the mood was, are we going to have enough guys, number one, to field a team, number two, are we going to have the guys that, that give us the best chance to have any success whatsoever? Um, so once those numbers came in, the tests came in, uh, obviously there was a rule in place by the conference office as to the number you had to have to actually play a game. So that ultimately is what decided to postpone it. But I think the mood was, hey, we're going to be huge underdogs, but at least, you know, we got to have some guys who, again, have been on the first or second team. If you don't have them, uh, I don't even know if Alabama was in there. I guess from a standpoint of yeah you could come over and, and absolutely run out to run off the field of some some second third stringers and maybe some walk-ons but I don't even know if that'd be enjoyable for an Alabama team so 
as it turned out, I think it's probably best. I had a feeling they were going to find a way to make this game up. It's too important um, to Alabama. It's too important to LSU. It's important to both states. And certainly it's important uh, to the conference office and, and their television partner. So I don't think there was ever a doubt the game wouldn't be played. And I'd much rather even being a 28-point underdog or whatever the latest is, much rather have this LSU team playing this weekend than I would have uh, where they literally had maybe 39 guys out there practicing the week of the original scheduled game. And the SEC is always trying to keep the health and safety of its athletes, its coaches, its programs at the forefront. So that to keep in mind as well. Chris, I want to ask you about this Alabama offense and what are the keys for the LSU defense this week and trying to not even stop but contain and slow down Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, the list goes on. Well, I think that's the key phrase and the key word you use, which is contain, because you're you're just not going to stop Alabama. They're too talented. It starts at the offensive line, as I said earlier. Uh, the fact that Mac Jones is on a tear, completes at the percentage that he does, and, and has receivers uh, at the talent level that that Alabama possesses. And then, oh, by the way, not the, not the least of which is is Najee Harris, arguably the best running back, not only in the SEC but in the country. Um, LSU's defense this year has been a lot of communication issues. Uh, early in the year, there were, you know, pre-snap, there were people looking around at each other trying to figure out what their uh, responsibilities were, where their coverage area was, and it led to a lot of explosive big plays, 20-plus yards um, that teams were able to rip off. Uh, and that was the problem. And, uh, you know, it happened against Mississippi State time and time again. It happened against Missouri. Uh, obviously, it happened against Auburn. Um, so defensively, the best game LSU had played was last week. Uh, I, I don't know if they simplified it, if they made sure the calls got in well before the snap of the football, but there was no communication issues. Um, and and as, as a result, they played their best uh, and really made Kellen Mond and that Texas A&M offense look pretty pedestrian. So that's what you got to hope for. I mean, number one is they're going to get their plays and they're going to get their scores, um, but you've got to make them work a little bit. You know, if they're able to get 70-yard touchdown passes and Najee Harris is ripping off 50-yard touchdown runs, it's going to be a long night in Tiger Stadium. So uh, I, I don't think LSU comes into the game and simply says we're going to try to keep everything in front of us. Um, but that's got to be part of their mentality uh, against this Alabama team that can strike from anywhere on the field. So to me, it's, it's limiting the big plays and forcing Alabama, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Smith, and all the guys to have to work. You know, put together 11 play drives and span 75 or 80 yards. If they're able to just hit big play after big play, uh, boy, it's going to be a rough night for the Tigers. And then wrapping things up here, Chris, want to jump to the hardwood and ask you just about Trenton Watford, of course, uh, I know from high school and with great relationship. But tell me about what you've seen from now the sophomore Watford and his stellar start to the 2021 season. Yeah, he looks pretty unstoppable at this point. I know we only got a three-game sample size to look at, but, uh, you know, he's one of the top assist guys. He leads LSU in assists with 18 through three games. Um, so he's facilitating other players. Uh, he's averaging 19 points a game. He's shooting over 50% from the field. Um, he's knocked down several three-pointers. I mean, his range now has certainly uh, increased, and, you know, he can do so many things. I mean, you know, he at times at six foot nine brings the ball up uh, he's not designated as a point guard, but he can handle the point. And, um, again, because he's, he's got all this skill set, he can beat you from downtown. He can put it on the floor, drive you to the rim. He can get to the line. And he started his career last year in the 
below 50% from the free throw line. He's shooting 83% from the line currently. He's become one of the guys you want to go to uh, when you talk about who do we want the ball in the hands of when you know the other team's going to foul. You would have never said that about Trendon early on last season, but he dedicated himself to working and improving that game, and, and now he is one of those guys. So uh, it doesn't have a lot of a weak, uh, weakness, and, uh, you know, he's, he's going to draw a lot of double teams, which is good news for LSU because um, he's got a lot of guys that, that are on his team that are also in the same mold of playmakers. So uh, it's uh, he had a chance to get evaluated by the NBA. All indications from the coaching staff is he took that uh, critique to heart, uh, worked in the offseason, and uh, dedicated himself to, to, to improving this year. And uh, so far, so good. He's certainly going to be a force to, to reckon with in the SEC. You talk about the free throw line. That was something I always ribbed him from the time I met him when he was a freshman. I was a junior in high school, and I would always give him a hard time that summer before he started uh, his his ninth grade year at Mountain Brook. I was like, you got to get better at the free throw line. I've seen your stuff and got to step it up. Of course, he is where he is now. Chris, thank you so much for your time, taking time during this busy game week, and looking forward to the matchup Saturday in Baton Rouge. Looking forward to it. Should be uh, another, hopefully, a great game. But it's always a, a great tradition, LSU and Alabama. And, William, always good to join you, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Chris for taking some time during his busy week and enjoyed our conversation with football. And if you know me personally, you know I love basketball and I have a relationship with Trenton Watford and his family. So, of course, I'm going to ask Chris about LSU basketball and, you know, my close personal friend, Will Wade. And that's what we're going to do now on the Galloway Podcast is talk a little hoops in around Alabama athletics. So men's basketball and women's basketball now in full swing in Tuscaloosa. As we speak, as this is being recorded on Wednesday, December 2nd, the men's basketball team is 2-1. and one. They got a win last night on Tuesday versus UNLV. They lost to Stanford on Monday, 82-64, to in a just kind of a lackluster game, honestly. The effort wasn't there, and the players know it, and I think the fans know it as well. That was just not the best performance, and not the performance you hope to see out of a talented roster like this Crimson Tide team. And then Alabama opened the season last Wednesday, November 25th, with a win, 81-57, to over Jacksonville State. So sitting at 2-1 and one on the year, and I said this is being recorded on Wednesday. Alabama has Providence tonight in the last game of the Maui Invitational being played in Asheville, North Carolina. Just the most 2020 situation. Uh, Asheville, North Carolina, commonly known as the mainland Maui. Very appropriate to have the Maui Invitational in a bubble format in Asheville this year. But it's been pretty solid hoops from the Crimson Tide apart from that Stanford game. I mean, there's been positive takeaways Obviously, Alabama is still trying to develop the identity of its team this year, moving in further into non-conference play and then approaching conference play at the end of the month of December. A lot to work on defensively. There needs to be more hustle. Obviously, you know you're going to get 100% out of guys like Herb Jones. It's been fun to see Bruner. It's been fun to see Quinterly, how those guys are adjusting into the Alabama system, but specifically the Alabama offense. So a 2-1 and one Alabama men's basketball team trying to build its identity. And look, we're not going to sit here and make up stuff and say this is happening or that's happening or they need to do this. We're three games into the season. It's December 2nd. It's a long year, and we all know in college basketball, you've got to peak at the right time, and that is what they're trying to do. So we look at the um, elsewhere in Alabama athletics now. The women's basketball team is 2-0. and 
They started last Wednesday with a win over Samford in Tuscaloosa, 83 to 68, and then they beat Houston on Sunday, 88 to 66. So a very solid start for Christy Curry and her team. They play USC Upstate tonight on Wednesday at 6 p.m. here in Tuscaloosa. Their next non-conference game is at Oklahoma State this Saturday, December 5th, in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. So the women's basketball team headed to Stillwater on this Saturday, upcoming Saturday. So that is kind of a look at around Alabama athletics. The fall season is really wrapped up, and men's and women's basketball is now in full swing. Gymnastics is up around the corner, and that is going to do it for us here on the Galloway Podcast. Of course, we always go through what's new. We bring in our interviewee that's Chris Blair this week. Once again, thank you, Chris, for taking time to talk with me this week in anticipation for Alabama at LSU in Baton Rouge on Saturday. And then around Alabama athletics, look at the hardwood, Alabama men's basketball and Alabama women's basketball. Folks, the holiday slash Christmas season is approaching rapidly and you do not want to miss out on some great merchandise opportunities. The Galloway Podcast has you covered. I've got a handful of t-shirts left. I've got Galloway Podcast tumblers, coffee mugs, golf towels, while supplies last, and then a new order of t-shirts should be, uh, excuse me, hats should be coming in later this week. White hats, gray hats, and navy hats, all Nike with the Galloway Podcast logo. You, you're going to want to get those, get your hands on them. We're going to have deals and sales coming up as the Christmas season approaches. So comfort color shirts, tumblers, coffee mugs, golf towels, and Nike hats. DM me on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway if you're interested in purchasing any of those select items. Once again, folks, thank you so much for taking your time to listen to the Galloway Podcast episode 60. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. This is the Galloway Podcast, where there's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Galloway.